on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Glenn Dillon. Glenn's in the UK. I actually didn't find out where in the UK you are. I'm in London. Sunny London. Sunny London. Actually, it's very unsunny at the moment. The sky is very bruised. And I'm calling from very uh, sunny Vancouver, so we probably have some similar uh, climate experiences. <laughs> Uh, Glenn's latest book is uh, The Now of Brown um, f- from Self Made Hero, a UK publisher, um, distributed in North America by those folks at Abrams. Um, thanks for joining me today, Glenn. My pleasure. I'm a big fan. Thank you. I very much appreciate it. Um, it's always nice to hear back from folks that listen to the show because I kind of feel like I'm in a vacuum sometimes. Well, no, I mean, when when you're doing the, when I was doing the book, I was completely in a vacuum, and you and one or two other podcasts were, I listened to, you know, I listened to so many of, of your interviews, so it's, it's a great thing to have when you're sitting there drawing to listen to other people talking about drawing comics. Does it kind of help you get through when you hear other people's creative struggles? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, I mean, it's... It's it's lonely. It's a lonely job, but um, uh, it's nice. Yeah, it's, it's really nice to be able to hear other people talking about it. It's a lonely job, but someone's got to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, now, I first became aware of your comics back in the mid '90s, I guess. What '95, '96? That about well, right? Well, American comics. Yeah. Or... Yeah, when you're doing stuff for Vertigo. And Maybe a bit earlier than that. Yeah, but around that time, yeah. Well, that was when I, I first noticed your stuff, or first became aware of it, as I was saying. Um, and you, I didn't realize, but you were pretty young at that point, too, comparatively. Because you were born, what, 1971? Yeah. So you're saying you got started earlier, so when did you first kind of get into doing comics? Um... 
I think I had my first professional job when I was just turned 17 and it was um, for um, 2000 AD the, um, the British institution science fiction kind of anthology comic um, and they used to do a thing called um, Tharg's Future Shocks which were these little kind of short stories which would give new writers and new artists a chance to um, <clears throat> just to do something you know um, to get off get off the bat and um, it was terrible <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, you know you've got to start somewhere well you were 17 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's pretty young <laughs> yeah now yeah. You, I, I kind of equate you to be kind of involved in this British scene, um, or kind of think have this vision of you kind of coming out of the same scene as like Philip Bond. Um, is that an accurate assumption? Yeah, we all lived in Worthing, which is a small seaside town on the south coast of England. There was Alan Martin who wrote Tank Girl and Jamie Hewlett who drew it, and um, Philip Bond. Um, and we all worked on um, Deadline, the uh, the kind of comics and music magazine from from the very late eighties, early nineties. So um, it, they, it was a little it was a little scene down there. It was great. I was young and uh, and we mucked around a lot and had a good laugh. It was good. Are you comparatively younger than the rest of the folks? I'm a bit younger than. Um, Phil and Alan and Jamie's about three years older than me as well, yeah. They kind of took me under their wing, their collective wing. And, uh, yeah, gave me lots of bad habits. <laughs> Is that how you got involved, how you got stateside um, doing stuff for Vertigo? Yeah, I think there was a time, um, once we'd been all doing that for a little while, there was a bit of a... I wasn't completely aware of American comics. I wasn't a, a big comic collector, um, but um, from what I understand now, and from listening to a lot of your podcasts, there was a bit of a, a boom around that time, and then it seemed like when Vertigo was created, they kind of came over to um, the English comic conventions and snapped up a few uh, people, and they were offering you know much better page rates compared to what we were earning. <laughs> On deadline, and um, like Pete Milligan was uh, working for them, and I was already a big fan of Pete's stuff that he did with Brendan and Brett Ewins on things like Strange Days, a little comic they put together themselves. I can't remember who published it, but it was um, I was a massive fan of them anyway. Mm -hmm. So when it was, you know, when I was asked to maybe work with him on stuff, I, I, you know, I was really chuffed, and to get paid well for it as well was just a big bonus. I'm curious about, as a creative person working at that time for that kind of monolithic institution, what kind of um, leeway you had as far as like being able to do the work your way, or was it pretty heavy hands-on um, vertigo involvement? Um, it wasn't too bad. No, it's good. It was fine, actually. I think um, Shelley... Shelley Bond, she's called now, but she was uh, Shelley Roberg when I worked with her um, at Vertigo on Shade the Changing Man. She would 
occasionally, you know, after I'd sent in my stuff, she might, we'd, we'd have a call about it, but she would very rarely ask to change anything. Um, it was all quite, it was all quite um, good that way. I didn't feel like I was um, heavily edited or anything. Okay. I'm just curious of kind of how things have changed over the years. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've, I've worked for them. <laughs> it's hard to think, because, I mean, that's almost, in some ways, what, 17 years? Yeah, I suppose so. I'm not, gonna, not any good at math, but, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a very different time. It feels like a long time ago. <laughs> and at that point, did you just stop doing comics completely? Um, yes. Were you doing anything in the UK at that point as well, or is it just kind of... I started doing this thing with uh, Peter called Egypt, um, mm-hmm. which um, was a great story. Um, but I just think at the time, I just the age I was, um, I was really fed up with with the loneliness of drawing comics. <laughs> even though, even though I lived in, you know, I shared I shared flats with Philip. I shared. Uh, uh, flats with Jamie and even when we weren't sharing um, flats we would work around each other's houses and do all nighters and stuff so it, it it wasn't completely lonely but you still had I wasn't I just wanted to socialize more than just the very small group of people I had and I really I'd, I'd always had ambitions of working in the film industry as well so I kind of um, I ducked out um, I ducked out on Egypt, and um, I ended up only doing the first issue and penciling the second issue, and then I did all of the covers. But then I just I moved to London, and I, I just wanted to get into doing film stuff. So I kind of burnt burnt my bridges a little bit. Um, did you find you're able to still have some level of creative output? Yeah, well, you... I did. I got into storyboarding. Mm-hmm. But also at that time, I was doing a lot of partying and stuff, and I I was living with some some uh, some people who turned out to be quite successful in the music industry, and we were having lots of fun. So you know, I was young and living that kind of um, uh, that kind of lifestyle. That's not very good for you. <laughs> that's very vague. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, and then I was, you know, to earn money, I was trying to get into storyboarding at the same time. So, but I was also concentrating on having a good time. So, comics had gone out of the window a little bit, really. And, and this would explain kind of your involvement uh, later on doing storyboards for Gorillas. Yeah, well, that's still that was Jamie connected, really. Yeah, but yeah, he yes, the the, the people that he worked with on that project, we knew all of those people at that time, so we were having. Uh, a good time at that age. It's funny. I mean, it's uh, it seems it doesn't seem unusual to kind of have that level of fame when like looking at that from afar. But I can't really think of like what well, Jamie's level of fame. Yeah, Jamie's level of fame, but also like yeah, it's just the visualization of gorillas and then working with David Albert, and you don't really see like a North American kind of version of that. So it's it's an interesting kind of pocket universe in a way. Yeah. Maybe not universe, but I don't know, pocket situation. Yeah. I find it fascinating. Um 
so now of Brown, this was kind of your return to comics, but this seems like sounds like it was a story that you needed to tell more than just doing comics, but it was something that had to come out. Yeah, I was. Um, it kind of crept up on me because um, all the time I was doing storyboards, I would always be trying to get film projects and stuff off the ground. I really wanted to be a director for a while. Um, and I, you know, I directed a few music videos, but not much. And so, you know, storyboarding, especially when I got into doing commercials, you could do a few a few days on a commercial, and then you could have you know two days off a week to do your own thing. So I was always trying to put together stuff um, uh, to try and get stuff off the ground in the film industry. Which is just a very hard thing to do. <laughs> um, you you need more you need more than talent and a good idea. There's lots of other factors um, that come into it, and lots of other people that have to come into it. So um, it was a uh, it was difficult to try and get things off. Even with Jamie, that like we we uh, we he'd already had success with Gorillas, and we came up with a, a told TV series idea. An animated TV series, or it, and then it was could it be possibly live action, but it's just so difficult. And it, it, we nearly got that off the ground, and then it didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, and um, I just realised that I had a little kind of a, epiphany where I, I realised that um, I could just be getting on with something. And if I was doing a comic, I could just be getting on with it in my spare time. I wouldn't have to speak to anybody about money or, or or you know talk to producers or, or any of that kind of thing have meetings with people I could just be getting it on, on with it you know at my desk with a pencil and some paper and that you know so I just I, I kind of fell in love with the idea of doing comics again having having been away from it for such a long time now you kind of you've also come out at a good time it seems in the in the UK comic scene to get yes, involved again a couple of timing <laughs> Well, it's the the I kind of look at what's coming out now. You're involved in the Nelson anthology, if yeah. I remember right? Um, and that pro probably seemed like a good way to kind of get in touch with all these amazing folks doing stuff there right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was um, I was in the middle of doing um, now, and um, Rob Davis, whose idea um, Nelson was. Um, it all kind of came about on Twitter. He, I mean, there's not so much a scene in in England that we're all local. It's more a scene on Twitter, and occasionally we get to meet up at um, conventions and things. So this kind of idea was was definitely born out of Twitter, and he had he uh, talked about it with Woodrow Phoenix, and they got it going and got it off the ground. I thought it was such a good simple idea and I was surprised it had never never been done before, like all good simple ideas. Um and um but I was too busy I was too busy and too behind on now to take part in it at first when they first asked. Um and I reluctantly declined. Um but luckily uh they persisted and they had also, they had a pagination problem where they wanted a, a certain reveal on a certain page, so they they um, 
they'd got their pagination confused and so they they just needed a one pager so they got back in touch and, and asked if I could just spare enough time to do one page so I did it really quickly and it was fun and a nice break from doing the book just to do something a bit different and um, I was quite early on in the process I was in the when she was quite young so there wasn't much that had gone before me because I don't know if you know the way it worked but, but yeah they, it's like the person's life and you're following this person's life and each creator kind of puts in their their yeah. take on it and just adds to yeah, the so already was... evolving drama yeah like uh, an exquisite corpse kind of thing um, so um, there wasn't um, there wasn't it wasn't even even all finished the ones before me so I only had a little bit to go on but it's quite you know because I was only had one page I didn't really have to tell a story but it was really nice to be involved I'm really pleased and then it won an award this year so that was good as well Mm-hmm. The first British Comics Award. It's just started in Leeds at Thought at the Thought Bubble Convention. You were there for that convention, yeah, weren't you? Really. Yeah, it's a great convention. So the Now of Brown, um, very. It, I was really interested by just how its comics and you really are taking from comics when you're doing this just within the f- in the title on the first page um, one of the things I really liked is just how you're kind of really quickly acknowledging uh, Justin Green with it yeah oh, I, I thought you'd notice that not many people notice that there's a few people only about two people have commented on that <laughs> so and the sure. other one's probably Paul Gravett <laughs> Paul, Paul Gravett didn't say it no it's actually um Tom Ferrier, who's uh, who does um, graphic medicine, um, which is he's he's a, a doctor and he does comics, and so he knows about um, you know medical conditions and that kind of thing. So he obviously had an interest in that, and he spotted it. I can't remember who I spotted it. it. Well, even like to me, I was thinking the title was was a direct acknowledgement to it because the title kind of reminds me of like the Tao of Pooh. Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's complete. You you spotted that as well. <laughs> Not many people who spotted that either. <laughs> You're good, Robert. <laughs> I've read too many comics. <laughs> I've also been reading a lot of Justin Green lately, so you know, that's uh, ubiquitous. The thing is that I hadn't read um, I hadn't read Binky Brown uh, before I started. I'd started and then I discovered it. Because as I started, I was trying to find everything I could find um, about OCD, mm-hmm. uh, both in comics and and film and television, everything you know. So I actually found it after I'd started. So um, it was all she was already called um, Now Brown before I discovered that. So it was just a, one of those weird little coincidences. And then I, you know, it was so amazing, such a brilliant uh, book. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to um, put those little nods in there. Did it, did it create some kind of shift in you in how you were addressing the character? Um, it was interesting because there's not many. I couldn't. There's not that many uh, examples of people doing uh, representing OCD in comics Mm -hmm. that I could find. 
and even in films that you know there wasn't there's not there's not that many to you know to choose from they're all on like you can count them on one hand so um yeah it was i mean it's a, it's a different it was a different different kind of OCD, different obsessions, different compulsions. But yeah, it was really interesting. Um, and he really got across, I really liked how he got across the anguish. Yeah. You know, it was really, it, it makes for a painful read. I don't know if I managed that. I think he got it. I think he was much better at that. I found interesting about the representation of obsessive compulsive disorder within the book um, is how you don't just go out and where with a lot of folks they'll really explain to the to the reader um, and give a lot of contextual reasons and for me one of the exciting things is just how vague and experiential it was yeah, I really, I didn't want one of the films that um, uh, that I saw when I was researching was it's called Dirty Filthy Love, and it's got um, Michael Sheen in it, um, and it's a it's a good film, but it, it really does that. It really explains what OCD is. Um, so anyone who watches it who's, who 
not heard of it before would kind of have a by the end of it they had a really good idea of what it was and how it worked and much as I liked the film I just didn't want to do something like that I didn't want it felt like the film was about that more than almost more than it was about the characters mm-hmm. and I really I really wanted to do something I know somebody some somebody clever said that but don't think of a big audience just think of one person and, and write for that one person and so I you know I just wanted it to be for somebody who had an OCD and understood it um, and then hope that you know anyone who doesn't have it could still get something out of it but I was writing it with somebody you know with with in mind just somebody who who, who lives with it the process of putting this together, did you have the whole thing in mind, like a script, or was it kind of developed through time of writing and drawing it? Um, it being my first book, I don't think I could have um, I could have dared to do it that way, where you, you kind of develop it as you go. Um, at the, you know, even at, at the very beginning. The thing was, it grew out of... Um, it grew out of originally it was going to be Gregory was going to be the main character of of this story but it wasn't it was um it was going to be more about Gregory and his relationship with this uh this manga anime world uh he was going to be a washing machine repairman which he is in the book still um and now is going to be his love interest and then um it just developed that that, that um, I thought that she should have OCD, and at first I it was because she was she wasn't the main character. She was, uh, and then it, and then it just her she, her story just became more. Uh, it felt like she wanted to tell her story much more, and Gregory Gregory's story wasn't as interesting, and so she kind of stepped forward more into the into the limelight and, and and it took I had about a weird three days where lots of things kind of fell into place of what of you know main points of the story and I and I wrote them up and thought oh I might have I might have enough for a book and it was quite you know an exciting three days and then it took a lot longer then to then work out um, an overarching kind of filling in all the gaps, but by the time um, I'd had contact with Self Made Hero, I kind of had an I yeah I pretty much had an idea of roughly everything that happened. And when I got in contact with them, when they found they found me via my blog via a mutual friend, um, they wanted to see a treatment, um, so I had I had like a one page treatment and then I had a four page treatment which gave a bit more away and then once they liked that they wanted something a bit more and so I did like uh, an 11 page one which showed everything that happened um, but without all the dialogue and stuff but just so they knew where I was going mm-hmm. and then once they saw that um, because I'd never written a book before so I, I thought it was quite they had to trust me um, and they signed me up and um, I did the script uh, in three months, within three months after that, and um, I wrote it um, as the same as a film script, because that's kind of what I was used to 
dealing with as a storyboard artist and um, and having attempted to write film scripts and stuff before. So I already had the the program Final Draft, um, which is a film a script write, screenplay writing program. So I mean I didn't even I didn't even try and break it down into pages in that first process. I was just wanting to write the story. So I was literally writing it as <clears throat> as you would a film script. So there's no like page one and then da 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 and then page two. I kind of did I broke all it down afterwards when I was doing the thumbnail stage. So it was um yeah, I I think if I was gonna do a shorter project I'd like to do it. I would do it I would do it that way where you um you draw and and write it at the same time, but this felt far too overwhelming for me to contemplate doing that. Yeah, um, it's a lot to draw and write at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious about self-made hero because, from my understanding, and my understanding may be way off base, is a predominant amount of the work is is um, translated French work. Um, and then their your work. Do they have a lot of other? Is it kind of a balance or? Yes, it's getting. I think when it first started, um, they started out doing um, in the very early days doing manga Shakespeare, which was um, a, you know a good idea in terms of I think it, it probably sold quite well and you know enabled them to grow quite quickly. Um, and then they started doing more uh, biography stuff uh, and then I think the intention was always to, to, to be doing original graphic novel stuff but yeah they're, they're a great little company they're only small um, um, so when I first met them it was um, you know it wasn't like I was meeting lots of people you know some people from this massive company, and I, you can meet them all in one room and and talk about it. And it was, um, I just really liked them, and um, they they de they're definitely passionate about graphic novels and uh, um, and the form of comics. So um, it, you know, there was there was no doubt in my mind that I wanted to go with them. But at the time, they didn't have that many. That many original graphic novels, I don't think at all at the time. And then they did her hair shirt by Patrick McEwen. Yeah, Pat McEwen, um, which I loved. I thought that was great. And then I mm. thought, I think, wow, this is you know, they, this is good. I'm I'm really glad um, they got him on board. And then it's just got better and better. They've got more and more stuff that I really really like. And but I think even that one was originally yes, really it was suppressed. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I bet, I, I'm not sure how many they've done that are original, but um, off the top of my head, I haven't got the catalogue nearby. <laughs> but, oh, you um, don't. <laughs> uh, but the, the fact that they did the Inkle, the Mobius, um, and Jodorowsky book, I mean, that, I was just like so chuffed to be in the same catalogue as that. Um, so they're, they're a great bunch, and I think you know they're they're growing fast. You're and, a good um, company. Yeah, I feel like I'm in good company. Yeah, Mobius is another um, kind of influence who creeps through in your work. Definitely, maybe not yeah. creeps through, but um, it's important to you. Is the feeling I get? 
Uh, yeah, like I said, I wasn't re I, I wasn't really a comics collector, but having said that, I've got a, my shelves above my desk. There's there's, a, there's about fifty Mobius books because that, that's the only guy I've ever really collected. Him and, and uh, Miyazaki and uh, uh, Otomo, you know, um, Katsuhiro Otomo. So they're, they're, those two are my you know favourites that sit above my desk. Um, and then I did. I got into when when I started the book. I thought I should really, really catch up on, on what's going on with uh, graphic novels and comics, because I hadn't really kept up with it in my time away. Um, occasionally, I might look at something or buy something. And if I went into a comic shop, I'd always ask if they had any new, any Mobius books. But um, you know that it, he's a he was a massive influence, and I was really upset actually when he died. More so than I'd ever, you know, more so than I'd expect, mm -hmm. considering I'd ever met him or anything. I think it was hard on a lot of folks. I know uh, I was around a bunch of other cartoonists when they found out, and it was it was a hard time. It was kind of like he was the guy. Yeah, I mean, I, definitely from when I was, I think I first saw his books when I was about eighteen, and I got all I could get at that time. And he was the guy, you know. I'd pour over those pages again and again and again, rip them off so many times. <laughs> you know, just a massive fan of his, you know, of his imagination, just in awe of his imagination. Um. So yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was. I was surprised at, at how hit I was by it. But um, yeah, it's really sad that there's not going to be any new stuff. Maybe there'll be stuff we haven't seen yet, or something. Yeah, I think there there, there might be some stuff that un, undiscovered works. Somewhere. I just uh, I was in New York a couple of weeks ago, and I found this weird two book set that uh, the uh, Cartier, the the watch company, put out. Oh and yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like this anthology where one book, and they're big books. They're like the size of a raw original raw book, like yeah. tabloid size. One was uh, just photos of watches, and the other was an English comics anthology that had like Jure uh, Taniguchi, Lorenzo Batati, and there's like a six-page English Mobius story from 2008. Oh, I've not seen that. <laughs> I don't know anyone who had seen that. Like it was, uh, it was odd. So there's always something out there. I was the other thing I was really, did, you know upset about was I'd never been to Angoulême before this year with my, you know, my book uh, got bought by a French company, uh, Achilleos and they translated it and it's all gone out and it's released in France right now, so I thought there was going to be a chance of going to France and there would be maybe be a chance of meeting Mobius so, you know, I'm going to Angoulême and sadly he's not going to be there Do they still have the Mobius store and gallery? In what Paris? in Angoulême? No, in Paris there was a. I don't know, but I'm going to Paris front. next weekend, so I should ask. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a brilliant um, exhibition uh, a few years ago now, maybe it was about six or seven years ago. It was Mobius and Miyazaki combined in Paris. Oh, I've heard about that. Yeah, that was great. Now, speaking of Miyazaki, your uh, kind of story in a in a story and Alf Brown is a bit of a nod to Miyazaki, isn't it? Yes, it's a bit of a nod to both of them. It's supposed to, yeah. The, 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 the 
guy who's supposed to have, have drawn it or, or animated it or whatever, is is half French, half Japanese. So it's kind of it mirrors her now's uh, story a little bit, but also yeah, it, it's you know the the direct influence of Miyazaki and Mobius. What is it about kind of these characters that kind of straddle different cultures that you're into? Um, it's it's this um, um, again like Miyazaki is it's it's, uh, it's that incredible imagination. It's that other world, you know, cre- world creating uh, thing that I love. Uh, creating a universe, you know, the idea of a Mobius universe. When I first, you know, read that as a, you know, uh, or understood it as a concept, it was so exciting. And I suppose it's that from a, the, you know, being from the Star Wars generation, you know, the, the idea that you have a Star Wars universe, a Mobius universe. I love that, you know, idea that you can create another world. And I love the way that you know some of the stuff in the airtight garage would feature other stuff that he'd done in other books, and things all kind of linked up in in ways that if you knew the other books, you could spot other characters or other things. Um, so that was always really exciting to me. And and Miyazaki is just another person who's just his his imagination is so incredible, and his world building. The whole I've got all the I don't know how you pronounce it. Is Norska Norsika? I don't even. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean, anyway. I mean that's incredible as well. That whole all the graphic novels of that. Um, what I was, what I was thinking for more is the fact that you have this illustrator character who we see the work by half Japanese, half French, and you have now who's half English, half Japanese, and you have uh, Gregory who's kind of at one point trying to has a you know a white Englishman um, trying to use uh, Buddhist culture to kind of resolve who he is um, and a, that that duality is something I'm interested in yeah well yeah that's the kind of big themes in the book of duality yeah is that um, something yourself that you're personally interested like creating a balance yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I had um, when I was around the time I turned thirty, I had a big crash and a big uh, nervous breakdown, and ended up in hospital with um, addiction issues and depression issues. So, yes, it's yeah, <laughs> it's all that's all in there, I suppose. That um. That I that uh, yeah that life balance yeah exactly I had to kind of <clears throat> I had to mourn the the character the person that I was you know now I'm completely sober and I could, you know I have been for ten years but um yeah it's about getting a a balance I suppose yeah everybody has to get some sort of balance so it seems like now like it's I mean it's a personal work as personal can get um and I was reading I think it was Paul Gravett was writing about how even while you're working on it you'd injured yourself 
but still yeah. kind of push through. Yeah, yeah. I, I've always had a bit of a bad back, always. Um, but then there was, I kind of because I was when I started it, I and I hadn't done a comic for so long. I misjudged how long it would take to do a page because I was basing it on how many frames I would do when I was doing storyboards. So I can do about anywhere between 15 and 25 frames for storyboarding in a day. I, I thought, oh, well, I must be able to draw two pages a day. That would be fine. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did want it, I purposely wanted to keep it kind of loose compared to how I drew comics before. But of course, you can't help. But uh, I couldn't help but tighten up a little bit, and also I didn't factor into the the equation that you know composing your page and not having anyone direct you, <laughs> you know, adds a little bit of time onto it. And so I, you know, of course, I realised very quickly that I was only managing to produce a page a day, drawing wise. So um, I, yeah, I lost. You know, I lost a lot of time. I, re you know, realised suddenly my deadline was looming. So anyway, there was lots of time I had to work. Quite quickly, I was working six days a week on it, and in, in the evenings. And then, the, towards the end, the last like seven months, I was working seven days a week, from nine in the morning till three in the morning, only stopping to you know eat and put my boys to bed. And it was just you know really hard work. And it, in the end, you know. I, Two weeks after I finished, I ended up in hospital with my, with four discs bulging in my back. So and I've gone numb in my saddle, and it was all a bit. Everyone was a bit worried. It's everything's fine now, um, but uh, you know I was seeing an osteopath three times a week, and she was saying the only way I can, the only way you can get better is if you stop doing what you're doing. But of course you can't. So she maintained me throughout the process. To which I'm very grateful for her. To, for, to her, um, and, and and now that I've now that I've managed to have a, a few weeks that are a bit quieter, things have already Im improved massively. So I just really yeah pushed the envelope a little bit physically, <laughs> but um, never at any point did I not enjoy doing the work. Now you, on top of what you just said, you also colored it yourself, right? Yes. And head colored. Yes. Well, uh, the the itchy pages were um, done on in Photoshop, um, and then the, the the majority of the book is watercolor. But then also, um, I used digital assistance in as much as I wanted to do it the the old way. I don't know if it's um, exclusive to um, French, but I know that the French used to uh, you would hand in your um, black and white line work, and then they would send you back a blue line page with an acetate sheet on top and then you would paint you know the blue line page uh, being able to see what it would look like with the acetate sheet on top and then they would you turn that back and they would put that on the drum and, and photograph that and that's how they print it so I kind of wanted to get that effect with the black line on the top so I used I utilized um, layers in Photoshop to get the same effect so I pencil the um, the pages. Um, uh, I pencil them loosely, then use a light box to pencil them more uh, tighter, and then scan that in, darken that up in the levels in Photoshop um, to get the black line. Then I would um, reduce that down in, in the opacity to like ten percent and print it out onto watercolor paper. 
um, and then paint that, scan that back in, and then put them together. Which sounds like a long-winded process, <laughs> But um, it removed removed the fear factor of of having it all on one page, mm-hmm. and if you fuck it up, you you know start again kind of thing. It would be horrible to pencil and ink a page and then mess up on the painting on that exact same. Page. Exactly, yeah. So uh, removing that pressure, and so but in the end, I was painting two pages a day. Whereas at the beginning, it was. <laughs> it was <laughs> wasn't like that at all. But I kind of by the end I'd got a good a good method going of how I how I did it. And color paint plays a really important role in this book as well. I was noticing how your kind of usage of red has a crescendo to it. Yeah. Like there's points where it it builds up at a page and then it'll go down and there'll be pages that are violently vibrant with red. Yeah. Well, you know, I think you know if you're going to use color, you've got to try and use it to tell the story as well. Otherwise, there's no point. Might as well all be black and white. But you know, which is uh, when I finished it in black and white, I thought, <laughs> hey, that'd be nice. Like <laughs> if I could just finish it now. But um, uh, it, you know, it was always meant to be in color. Um, I would like to do a black and white one next. Um, but um, I really, I really enjoyed. Um, because before this I hadn't really done hardly anything in watercolour so I was kind of uh, very scared at the beginning um, I, I'd done the original uh, before, I'd, before I'd signed up I'd done 11 sample pages so that's what Self Made Here had seen so the first 11 pages were, were already done but I'd had plenty of time to kind of do them uh, and there was no pressure on on or deadline for that. So when it, then when I drawn the whole book, so I, I wrote it, then I drew it all, and then I went back and painted it all, and then I went back and lettered it all. So I kind of I did it that way. But I was very scared at the beginning of painting it. But now I feel like I've got you know I've learned a new skill <laughs> in terms of watercolor. Earlier we'd kind of talked a bit about music and. Um one of the things I noticed in the book is the usage of music where sometimes I'll read a comic and someone will make reference to music and it'll feel almost forced or um, how do I put this right without sounding mean to people it it, it doesn't feel completely honest to the work um, but one of the things I, I found really interesting with the choices of music they were very kind of accurate to where that person was um, like you would have her listen to Shangri-Las and that seemed like contextually right oh that's um, cute yeah like that and there's some like magazine um, and I'm wondering about that like that choice in the music you're putting in there um, I mean, you have the character that's a musician too, or a couple of different musician characters. Um, well, I suppose, that, yeah, it's kind of, I've got quite a few musician friends, and that's, and it was also an in for me in to getting into her character. I, you know, I really didn't want to write um, me as a girl. You know, <laughs> I really wanted to. <laughs> I really wanted to, you know, so. I started listening to things that I thought she might listen to 
that I've never listened to before. So, um, and that, you know, using the internet, you can quite easily jump from one thing, it leads you to another thing. Um, and, you know, it's obviously some of the music that she likes, I like. Um, but I was definitely listening to stuff that I'd never listened to before, and that really helped. Um, it helped build her character. Um, I had, yeah, I had a whole big playlist in the very early days. That I would listen to a lot um, and add to, and so a lot of those songs that I mentioned in the book kind of came out of that directly out of that. That, that, that they would, that's what she would be listening to on her on her Walkman and stuff. It's, uh, it seems like you really like this character was really important for you to kind of get to the heart of her. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it was, and it was me trying to understand the condition as well. Yeah. Um, because I, I, at the beginning, I found out that my wife, one of the one of the inspirations for it was that my wife had suffered with it as well, or lived with it, and she. Um, it's not the same. It's not her story at all, and it's she didn't suffer in the, the same kind of obsessions or compulsions. But it was, I just wanted to understand it because it's quite a thing to get your head around. Um, And so that was one of the main reasons for for doing the book was just I wanted to learn about it because I I picked up books about it and that then inspired me to to do the story. So yeah, I really wanted to get right into her head and, um, you know, it's... it's, um, I, I read a lot of um, forums, OCD forums, and a lot of books with people's stories. And of course, then I had my wife who was able to tell me if she thought I was in going in the right direction on certain things. And and I'm really grateful to her for all that, you know, all that input. Did you ever get a point with a book where you'd like bit off more than you could chew? As like That's what it felt like at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, I really was uh, at the very at the very beginning. Once I kind of got, you know, probably the day after I signed the contract, I was like, "Oh no, what have I done?" It felt like such a big unwieldy uh, mess in my head, and it was like, "How on earth am I going to get this? How am I, how am I going to get this done? Any of this done?" And that, that's I, I I bought the Akira set, the entire set. Because I'd had, I've had, I'd never read the entire set before. I was a fan, and I had read some of the, and you know, I got some of the copies of the epic uh, issues. But um, I bought the whole set, all six volumes, and I read it in a week, and that kind of calmed my nerves. <laughs> I thought, wow, he's done. He did ten years to do that, and God knows how many pages. So I thought, you know, it's suddenly two hundred pages just seemed like nothing. And um, it was just the idea of well, just one day at a time. The whole one, you know, these things are always small steps. You don't get anywhere without taking one step at a time. So I just broke it down into one day at a time. So when I was doing the script, I, I had all these little post-it notes up on my window, um, which had all the you know the scenes I had to get through. And my mission each day was to do to get through two of those post-it notes a day. Or a night because I I decided to work nights when I was writing it. So, um, and uh, you know, so yeah, it was daunting, but I just 
uh, got into the mindset of one day at a time, and eventually I get there. Now that it's done, it's out. People have read it. Are you uh, ready to continue with the comics making? Um, uh, I'd like to. I need to earn some money first. <laughs> <laughs> um, the really harsh realities of comics. Harsh reality of comics. Yeah, we're, we're all in the same boat. Um, it's um, it would be nice if it um, if it paid as well as as. You know, if I, if I could just do comics, it would be excellent. But um, um, I'm gonna have to do some more storyboarding. But I've definitely got. You know, there was a, the, for when I first finished it, I was like, oh no, I don't want to do comics for a long time. Uh, or maybe I'll do something else altogether. But now I'm already thinking, yeah, I would like to do another book actually. But I think I'd like to do something a bit shorter, and maybe just like a. Um, I've got well, I've got some ideas that are brewing. Brewing at the moment, but they're only you know, they're only like um, uh, feelings rather than anything uh, more solid. Well, thank you for taking the time with me today, Glenn. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the now frown, um, and I was happy to see it. I was uh, in the in the '90s those days. It, your work was one of those that kind of came out and I, I really had an affinity for it this, the oh. style of sickness and I was kind of happy to see I mean it's not the same style but it's still the same it's voice okay. I guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank so. you
Nothing at all.